0: Welcome to episode 377 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we feature regular contributor, writer, activist, baker, and candlestick maker, Kitty Bell Burbank. Kitty Bell and I talk about how she's doing, her girls being in town, embracing poverty, A silver lining to the COVID, white privilege, Karens, compassion, empathy, how black lives matter, nurture versus nature, and a few other interesting areas of discourse. A grand conversation with regular contributor Kitty Bell Burbank this week. We have an EWSA titled The Pace. We share an excerpt from a piece written by Luke Mogelson called The Uprising for The New Yorker magazine, and a poem called Surprise. All of this, of course, will be imbued, infused with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. So nice to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 377 of Troubadours and Rock-On Tours.
1: and shadowy dread, lurking like a troll under the bridge between your heart and your oh, yeah. swing.
0: Sometimes I ponder the likelihood of sitting on a cloud, its ephemeral consistency moving by, regardless of how we humans scurry around unaware on the ground, and sometimes right through them in the air while sitting in petroleum-powered machines. Are we still aware of the truth that is our connection to the earth? how we mimic and use all that it has to offer. We continue for certain to walk around as the dominant part of this natural world. How embarrassing, how arrogant. The ways of these days with virus spreading, social justice and greater awareness coming into a stronger collective focus Though many are still looking to a hocus pocus way of finding the key of tranquility and security amidst an understanding of life's fragility, humanity has such a powerful ego, a sense of self as misguided as it is delighted with all our amazing accomplishments, like the wheel and the radio and the strap-on sex accoutrements, too. We perhaps have lost, or maybe have yet to find, the truly sublime in our minds, heart, and souls. Look out your double pane glass windows and see those clouds of gas and moisture with particulates particular to this world of ours. They hold the love and physics that paints a reality as we perceive our place, as did our ancestors, as will our descendants, while watching those cumulus float by, keeping the pace.
2: silent on the second floor i talked with a patient I'm eccentric, they say There's a boot in a flute Or a mellow moon in cello I'm nuts about screwy music I'm screwy about nutty rhythm I'm dilly over all silly melodies Crazy as a loon can be they say there's a boot in a flute or a mellow moon in cello I'm nuts about screwing music I'm screwing about nutty rhythm I'm dealing over all silly melodies crazy as a loon can be.
0: Kitty Bell Burbank is that you?
3: Yes I am here
0: It's nice to have you on troubadours and Rock on tours yet again all these years you've been on the show and uh, we should let people know if it's the first time they're tuning in she's a writer a playwright which is a writer but she she writes all kinds of stuff but I know one of the most important things to her is being a playwright She's an activist a baker, and a candlestick maker, among other things. And uh, I want to ask you, how is it going? We haven't talked. I don't think we've talked since the pandemic started.
3: Exactly. I was just thinking that. And now when we ask each other how we're doing, like we're really asking. (laughs) You know? Not that we didn't care before, but now we're like, are are you okay? (laughs) Am I okay?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes, I do. know. I. I I know. You know. You shared some of the things you want to get into, and and uh, it, is it? Are we learning from this? Are we growing from this? Is there a silver lining? You know. But I want. I want to ask you, and we're going to get into that. How How is it going with your your uh, your girls? Although they're young women now, but I remember them as little girls still. Uh, how are they? Are they around?
3: Yes. Um, it, it has been interesting. Miranda, actually, my older daughter, was out west.
0: A painter. She's a painter, right?
3: She is. She's going to be starting. Um, she's transferring to UCLA in the fall. Excellent. In their studio art program. She, actually, um, she was at a community college in San Diego, and she applied to four of the UC schools, and she got into all of them. Excellent. But UCLA was the only one that actually asked to see her art portfolio, so... She um, was most flattered that they accepted her. And um, she's a little f- concerned about how it's going to be <laughs> on the ground or not or online or what. Um, it's kind of hard to make art. She's She and her uh, boyfriend, who is also from Scranton, who um, she actually met up with in Denver. Interesting. Both came here. For the rest of the summer so that they could save money but they bought a van and they're um they're doing the van life thing they're in the process of converting it into a place that they're going to live because um rent is outrageous in los angeles (laughs) and it's going to be tough but um they're embracing the challenges
0: yeah the weather's nice in southern california so you know you could live in in a van converted it's almost like a small house you know uh, the tiny house uh, movement that is alive and well in this country uh, in, in certain pockets of, of uh, the continents, it's, it's similar. As long as you have the weather, it's easier, you know. So th- they have that going for them in Southern Cal.
3: Yeah, and they're smart and creative. I just saw that they were watching one of those shows where people show you how they converted their vans. So there's lots of examples out there.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's really surprising that your daughters are so hip and cool given... The arch-conservative that you are. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> Which leads me to Francis. No, I'm just kidding. Um,
0: <laughs> the, other, she, the other girl, the other young woman.
3: Yeah. No, she's, she's doing well now that she's back to work. She um, is a, a stylist, a hairdresser, and was laid off for months and didn't get unemployment until like, now that she's going back to work. So it's That's been difficult weird. for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, it truly has been difficult. Um, You know, and not everybody's in the same boat as you, independently wealthy, where this doesn't really affect them financially. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) 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 Oh, I'm a jokester today. Yeah. Yeah, you are. I
3: actually, I've I've embraced poverty this summer. I I had the option to go back to the old job that I was working part-time. Um, Over the summer, well, I mean, I don't even know if they could take me. I don't even know if they're hiring, but I decided to not do that, (laughs) and um, I would rather like live on rice and beans if I have to because it's just, you know, just soul killing. And I did it. I did it for almost three years, and um, I have another teaching contract that's kind of online um, that got. It was supposed to be like nice that I could like have enough to save up for the summer, but then the pandemic came and it it got you know cut by like a sixth mm. and yeah. <laughs> um, but that's also going to be in the fall, so I'll have like teaching and teaching in the fall. So I just kind of have to get through July and then training starts. So I'm gonna um, I'm gonna let my kids help me out a little. Might as well. You've <laughs> done so much
0: and continue to do so much for them. I'm sure they're appreciative. Yeah. Uh, you know, they learn as they get older. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, you can do it. I have full faith in you. Uh, you've always done it. Um, and, you know, getting back to, uh, I guess, one of the reasons why you're able to do it is because you do, you do reflect. You try to learn from your, your life, your experience, and others uh, as well. And during this COVID-19, this novel coronavirus, where is the silver lining that you speak of in your texts to me?
3: Okay. Um, you know, I'm kind of an introvert, so <laughs> it's different for me, you know, and and I've never had the, the kind of budget where I was going out to eat every night, um, going to lots of expensive things and going on vacations to faraway places so so none of that is affecting me you know um so i'm lucky for not being privileged (laughs) 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 On on that level but um you know i think at first we saw just people sharing people like sharing whatever resources they had and we saw that a lot as teachers Everyone was kind of like, this is what I got. What are you doing? And and that's continuing now as we go into the fall. A lot of people just kind of talking about what is your strategy and what are, what are, you know, oh, here, let me share this thing that I have with you that I think is going to work, you know, that, that can help you out. So a lot of sharing and a lot of free theater online um, that I never would have had a chance to go see before. All the national theater live shows from London they're, they're going up one at a time. I saw uh, a Lauren Gunderson play. I saw another public theater production that uh, was actually written for Zoom. So that was really interesting. I got to see a reading of one of my grad school professor plays. And I didn't have to go anywhere. I didn't have to leave my house. I got to do a theater of war workshop that was actually something to do with Greece and there were like all these famous actors like on my computer screen. It was so cool. I'm like, oh, look, there's Francis McDormand, you know, <laughs> Are you and you
0: participated in this program with it.
3: Yeah. The... I mean, I could have asked them a question if I wanted to. I just listened. But um, That's cool. I got to take a workshop the other day with a, a New York neo-futurist member. We did like a I wrote poetry with strangers from all over the world um, and it was free. Like I didn't have to pay anything for that. And I didn't have all those opportunities, you know, in January.
0: Yeah, you know, it's, um, if you know, our our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavese, if it weren't for these online uh, offerings of free theater, I think he would have offed himself by now. I really do. (laughs) Because it's such a large part of how he exists, how he gets through. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, 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 you're right. This this has been sort of a... um, Almost uh, a way of of staying connected to the larger world and, and soothing, uh, nurturing your mind and your soul through the arts. It's so important. And if you can't do it in person, then I guess you got to do it this way. Mm-hmm. How long is it sustainable, though, as a playwright yourself? You know, how long yeah. can this go on?
3: I don't know. And it makes it very difficult to write because... The world has changed so much, and we don't know how long, I mean, it's probably going to be changed for a long time, you know, in in ways that we didn't previously imagine. So it it kind of makes whatever we were working on different, you know? So is this a pre-pandemic play, or do I need to start incorporating the way that we live now into what I'm writing, into what I'm creating? It's kind of confusing and and you could – I know a lot of people that just can't produce anything right now. They're just not writing. (laughs) They just can't.
0: Because they're not getting the inspiration of being out and about or they're just overwhelmed by this sudden change? Do you get together as to why? Yeah, I think
3: it's a lot of that. I I think – like I said, I'm lucky that my life hasn't changed that much um, because I – I didn't. I mean, I just got through two years of grad school. I, I didn't leave my house <laughs> except to go to work. You know, um, I, so it's it's not that different for me. But yeah, a lot of people really were just out there all the time and and had had those inspirations. And but yeah, it's. I think it is overwhelming. It's overwhelming seeing that just the number of people that are sick, the number of people that are dying, the the political arguing over it is really discouraging. It's like you just don't want to turn on the news some days because it's embarrassing, <laughs> you know? You mean
0: our leadership or our fellow citizens?
3: All of it, you know? I mean, on one hand, we see new, I think, new empathy, new compassion, people really thinking about what life is like for other people in a way that they didn't on a daily basis before. Um, but then, yeah, you see people turning that into political agendas and trying to politicize things that shouldn't be, like health.
0: Yeah. Yeah. My my wife and I were talking about this earlier today. When you have certain people acting in certain ways, whether they be good or bad, and I, I was talking to a friend about it yesterday as well, uh, is it, you know, just their nature or is it the way that they are nurtured, you know, the nature-nurture question? If they had different uh, uh, educational experiences, if they had uh, different people around them coming up in, in, in their day-to-day at, at uh, the present moment, uh, would they have a different outlook? Or are they just wired a certain way where they're going to care more or they're not going to care no matter? You know, mm-hmm. it's it's an interesting question, and it's the question we've been bandying about uh, over for for years as a species—nurture uh, or nature. This does, though, like you said, uh, put things in stark relief, and and really forces us to reflect. Mm-hmm. And maybe at least you find out a little bit more about yourself.
3: I hope so. A lot of people tend to look at others, though, and and I think there still is a lot of judgment um going on um the whole the whole like anti-karen movement has me a little freaked out <laughs> do you know oh, what i'm talking about oh
0: yeah that's what yeah. uh that's what our uh, african-american people of color brother and sisters refer to when they're looking at a white woman who is overly aggressive or fearful calling the cops being racist that kind of deal right prejudiced Th- those white women are called karens mm-hmm. is
3: that what exactly. you're talking about exactly and um i'm a, i'm almost afraid that it's i mean nobody should act like that but then i'm i'm afraid that it's there's going to be this backlash toward middle-aged white women <laughs> who stand up for themselves um and, and 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 just because i mean yes there is a such thing as white privilege i do not deny that at all but there's a lot of poor white people that have had to fight for just anything and and women are a victim of sexism and ageism and you know i mean i'm not going to call myself a karen because i'm not (laughs) but i'm almost afraid of that i'm almost afraid of someday i'm going to be standing up for myself because somebody has mistreated me and someone's going to get that on camera And it's going to, like, go viral. (laughs) Do
4: you know what I mean? It's like a nightmare.
0: (laughs) I I do. I mean, when people get upset, people are people. And that's the Mm -hmm. basic, uh, I think, root of our discontent is that we don't realize or we don't know how to deal with the fact that people are people, though not everybody's treated equally. But people are people. So whether you're a person of color or a person that is Caucasian, once you start uh, making a point to, to judge, as you put it earlier, yeah. when you see somebody that fits the bill and you, you're you so apt to want to judge because you want relief, you want understanding, you want justice, you might incorrectly categorize somebody, uh, prejudge somebody based on their physical characteristics. And that happens all the time with people of color, but it could indeed happen with uh, a white middle-aged woman, as you're saying, uh, as soon as she stands up for something and maybe the person she's standing up, I guess this would have to be a prerequisite for your concern. The person you're standing up against is a person of color by chance. And not
3: necessarily.
0: Because I mean, could a white person call another white person to Karen? I guess they
3: do it all the time on Twitter.
0: Do they? Yeah. I don't. Well, I, I OK. See, I'm not clear on how that what works. Yeah, I I mean, I
3: just think there's a fine line there between, you know, the uppity white woman stereotype that that has, like, been a curse of feminism from the beginning, even though um, one of the things I just got to watch, which was great, which is on PBS, was uh, the play that they did about Gloria Steinem. Mm -hmm. And she's, you know, starts off by saying that her induction Mm -hmm. into the second wave of feminism was all through black women um but then you know i guess and now in this play they kind of say it was the media that kind of shoved those women aside and wanted to focus on you know gloria Steinem, blonde she did that playboy bunny article and and then and then the feminism movement got criticized for just being about white women and it's confusing to me
0: well yeah uh, and, and to me, as, a, as a, a, a white heterosexual male and all of the uh, ineptitude that comes with that experience in the world because of my privilege and to, to not have to care so much, to, quite frankly, not consciously, but oftentimes, you know, just to be honest, human beings, if, if uh, they're not being pushed around, Maybe they don't really look at other people's quandaries so closely because it doesn't affect them directly. Uh, but having said that, um, when you're looking at feminism in this country, the history of feminism, what I've learned about it is, yeah, it, it is different. It, you know, the issues as they uh, pertain to poor women of color mm-hmm. and and white women that are not so poor. And I'm, right. I'm sure they also are different for poor white women as compared to uh, wealthier or middle-class white women and uh, poor uh, women of color. So it's there are def- definitely different uh, groups that are, are affected and think of it differently, it being feminism.
3: Right. Yeah. I mean, intersectionality is important. We really do need to look at those things. Um, I, I'm, I'm not denying that at all. I just don't want to see well-meaning people or or not even that. I mean, people who just, they haven't had a chance to learn yet also, you know. I mean, people shouldn't be demonized for their ignorance. We, we need to give them an opportunity to learn. I remember in college I worked with a theater company in Newark uh, at a church. It was, I was like the only white person there, you know. And I was working with these kids. We were doing a poetry lesson I think and I told them like sometimes I met a person and I couldn't remember what their skin color was like that didn't wasn't something it stuck in my head necessarily I might remember if they wore glasses or they smiled a lot or um something but and, and they didn't believe me <laughs> which is fine <laughs> but um You know, I realized kind of after that, 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 that is, that was a privilege that I had, like I could be colorblind and, and they couldn't, um, that wasn't something that, you know, a thought that ever even occurred to them to, to not see that. And, um, you know, I was in my twenties when I learned that, thank God, but you know, I, I could have been older. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm still, there's still things like I'm learning every day. I'm studying as much as I can. Um, but there, there's so much to know. And every once in a while, somebody says something and it's like, wow, I never thought of it that way. Right. And I mean, hopefully we'll all continue to have those moments for the rest of our lives. Those moments of, of realization where something clicks or, or we see things through a different lens that, you know, that we don't have without help. You know, I can't see through that lens until you hand it to me.
0: Exactly. And you have to be willing to. I mean, well put. We're talking to Kitty Bell Burbank, a regular contributor for years here on Troubadours and Rock On Tours. And uh, she's a writer, an activist, a baker, candlestick maker. And she's so many things. And she's a good friend, I should mention, as well. Um, (laughs) Yeah, you're talking about wokeness, as you put it. You you know, and you posed this question before the show when you sent me Uh, text uh, sharing what you'd like to delve into is this wokeness going to last and i guess you're saying that given what happened to our brother george floyd in minneapolis we're woke a little bit more but how long is it going to last is that what you're asking
3: well i mean i
0: or is it the pandemic as well the two coupled together
3: absolutely i mean the pandemic has made it apparent that that healthcare is, is unequal by race. I mean, more people shouldn't be dying because of their skin color. <laughs> you know, that doesn't make sense. So, so, and it isn't because of their skin color. So what is it? It's, it's the system that, you know, that we're finally looking at because here's evidence why should more hispanic people be dying than white people it doesn't make any sense oh but they have these jobs and you know we're calling people essential workers and they actually had to give them more money just during the pandemic and now they're taking it away from them and and are we just going to go back to treating people like they're like a another class a lower class of people that Don't deserve to be paid as much it's it's like how could we forget all of these things how could we I mean we can't go back to the way it was before but (laughs) but are people gonna keep fighting the way that you have to keep fighting I mean when you look back at the feminism movement um, that show mrs. America on Hulu is fantastic and you're watching these women fighting for the ERA and you get to the end of the show and hey guess what it never passed (laughs) what (laughs) How how could that not happen? For years and years and years, these women were working day and night to get the Equal Rights Amendment passed and they couldn't do it.
0: Exactly. And I mean, you remind me of an article I just read uh, in Harper's Magazine uh, going back to the Lyndon Baines Johnson administration and uh, committees that were formed to understand race, racially motivated riots back in in the 60s and, you know, all the things that need to be done and all the the problems in society that are causing the the, uh, uh, the riots, uh, the discontent. And when you look at those reports coming out of those committees in the 60s and you look at similar analysis today, the same root causes are identified, the same uh, solutions are proposed, and it, it, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't happen. You know, we don't do anything about it. We might say, yeah, these are the reasons. Yeah, this is what we need to do. But still yeah. decades later, we're still dealing with the, the same, same situation. Yeah,
3: You have to go through the proper channels
0: <laughs> and the proper, okay. <laughs> ch- you mean the proper channels of how to get these things changed?
3: Yeah. The right way, you know, oh, nope. you're being
0: sarcastic.
3: Yeah, that's exactly. No vandalism, no looting. Don't don't do any kind of protest that's actually disruptive that might actually get somebody's attention. You know, and now everybody's apologizing to Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> right.
0: Oh now I understand, <laughs> like, Colin.
3: Yeah. Oh, gee, we didn't get it before. You know what? But they didn't. So maybe we need to forgive them for that. Like it it there's a lot to be angry about, and we do need to be angry about the the construct and the and the systems, and not the people. Um, no, we're no. all victims of of that inequality.
0: Yeah, I guess that's true. Because if you look at us as connected, I mean, some people for certain suffer more, but we are right. all victims. Because if you care about humanity, if you care about your community, if you care about uh society then these this injustice this pain aff- should affect you yes yeah katie bell it's always great we're not done yet almost there um goes by so quickly flows so easily talking with you uh let's see did we hit everything that we wanted to talk about uh, pretty much pretty much did um, what do you think about this this kind of ties it together. What do you say to those folks out there, who, uh, when they hear Black Lives Matter, they say All Lives Matter. You know, when uh, you were you were saying you were talking about this earlier too. I don't see color. What 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 do you say to those folks to help them if they indeed want to understand better, uh, to be, to understand what it means these the you know Black yeah. Lives Matter or color does matter.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think the data is really what we need here because facts are facts, right? I mean, and when you show people, okay, well, if all lives matter, I, I mean, I'm working on a series for the Macaulay Center, so it's really easy for me to refer to that, but why are 8.9 black people homeless for every one homeless person in Pennsylvania? Um, if, if we're all the same, if we're all equal, then shouldn't that ratio be different? And you you can't blame people for this. I mean, it's not. I think that's one of the things that happens. So so then, what is their answer going to be? They're going to blame people. Oh well, that's because black people are what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's your response? <laughs> because it's not true. You know, that's not a fact. That is, you know, the story that they told before. You know, for hundreds of years. So we we have this information now. Um, so not to that just cat. Oh, I know. The poor thing. I, I didn't, they haven't allowed you to get surgeries for animals <laughs> during the pandemic because it wasn't essential. At least not the low cost ones that I can afford. So like now there's a waiting list.
0: I just thought yeah. the cat was like behind you going, you you tell them mama.
3: Yeah. Oh, we should have. Yeah. No, she's, she's in heat again. <laughs> and I need to get her um, uh, spayed, but it's hard to get an appointment right now so
0: i didn't mean to interrupt but i had identified it's it was such a pronounced sound in the in the uh you know in the conversation yeah i was
3: i was hoping the microphone wasn't picking it up i love it i love it (laughs) she's she sings sometimes i sing with her she really likes um we were listening to that song the other day the beatles covered it from the music man uh till there was you oh yes her her meow kind of i Sounded like that to me. So I started singing with her and I played it for her. And then we put the jazz version on, the Sonny Rollins one. It was great. Sounds like a fun night out. Yeah. <laughs> me and seriously, my dad. seriously. You're at home. You got to go with it. <laughs> I, I
0: want to give you an opportunity to finish your, your thought there. Did you finish it okay. when you were explaining? I mean, you're right. Statistics. Oh, yeah. So you have I, to look at when you, start to try, when you try to understand why, uh, what the phrase Black Lives Matter uh, is all right. about.
3: Right, exactly. They, they they need to matter as much as white lives and right now in our society they don't. So we need to fix those things so that you can so that you can say all lives matter, because right now that's a lie. It's well, just not true.
0: Well put. What's your kitty cat's name?
3: Uh, her name is Fuji. She's a refugee from she ran into Staples last July. Um she she's been with me almost a year now.
0: Excellent. She um
3: yeah, she ran into the store. I don't know how she got to Dixon City all by her little self, but she was like she fit in my hand. She was so small. Um and somebody had to take her home, so I took her home and Yeah, she's Fuji.
0: I love it. Well, give Fuji a pet for me and uh uh I appreciate your insight as always, Kitty Bell. I really do. It's wonderful to talk with you. Uh here on troubadours and rock on tours and hopefully since we live in close proximity the pandemic allows us to actually to actually see one another soon
3: yes yeah right now i'm i'm kind of looking forward to the fall i get to teach in some interesting spaces like the theater yeah (laughs) Yeah. so there's another silver lining right there
0: i love your positive attitude thanks for uh thanks for sharing (laughs) the vibes
3: thank you and your intelligence
0: of course wonderful intelligence ciao excerpt from a letter from Minneapolis by Luke Mogelson titled The Uprising from the June 22, 2020 edition of the New Yorker magazine. On June 1st, a week after the killing of George Floyd sparked a national uprising that touched every state, convulsed major cities activated the National Guard, and sent President Donald Trump into a secure bunker underneath the White House, Terence Floyd, George's younger brother, visited the intersection in South Minneapolis where his sibling had died. During the previous seven days, 38th Street and Chicago Avenue had become the site of an uninterrupted public vigil, designated by signs and banners as, quote, Sacred Ground, Barricades around the four surrounding blocks impeded traffic and law enforcement. The sidewalk outside the Cup Foods grocery store, where an employee had called the police after suspecting George Floyd of using a counterfeit $20 bill, was buried under bouquets, mementos, and homemade cards. Activists delivered speeches between the gas pumps at a filling station, messages in chalk Fight back. Stay woke, covered the street. Volunteers passed out food and water. There was barbecue, music, tailgating. A wide ring of flowers and candles circumscribed the intersection, delineating a kind of magic circle. Later that day, within the circle, a group of indigenous women would perform the Jingle Dress Dance, a healing ritual created by members of the Ojibwe tribe during the influenza pandemic of 1918. Terence Floyd, who lives in New York City, arrived with a security entourage in the afternoon. As he approached the entrance to Cup Foods, guided by supporters and swarmed by an international mob of photographers and camera crews, he paused to admire a vibrant mural, his brother's face set inside a giant sunflower. In the background were the names of more than two dozen other black victims of police violence, including Michael Brown, Breonna Taylor, Eric Garner, and Freddie Gray. At the base of the mural, among cardboard signs, stood jugs of milk, which is used to alleviate the effects of tear gas. A couple of nights earlier the police had conducted a raid at the site, clearing out people in violation of a citywide curfew. Eventually, Terrence reached the curb where two officers had pinned down George's back and legs, and where a third officer, Derek Chauvin, had pressed his knee into George's neck for eight minutes and forty six seconds, while George repeated, I can't breathe, at least sixteen times, before his eyes closed, and his pulse stopped. Terence sat down on the pavement where someone had painted the white silhouette of a prostrate body, its hands manacled behind its back and angelic wings spreading from its shoulders. Bowing his head, he let out an anguished cry. He remained there for several minutes, then stood to address the crowd. I understand y'all upset, he said using a megaphone. But I doubt y'all half as upset as I am. So if I'm not over here wilding out, if I'm not over here blowing up stuff, if I'm not over here messing up my community, then what are y'all doing? What are y'all doing? He went on. Let's do this another way. Let's stop thinking that our voice don't matter and vote. That's how we're going to hit them. Let's switch it up, y'all. Do this peacefully, please. Terence fell silent, or almost silent. The megaphone amplified his exaltations. A reverend, standing at his side, rubbed Terence's back, leaned over, and whispered in his ear, Breathe, 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 breathe.
5: Ooh, 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 ooh. Do, 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 Lift every voice and sing Till earth and heaven ring Ring, ring with the harmonies of liberty Let our rejoicing as high as the listening skies reach Out the rolling sea Sing a song Full of the faith that the dark past has taught us Sing a song Full of the hope that the present has brought us Facing the rising sun
0: Show me your sensuous way, if not yesterday, maybe today. What are you waiting for? The second coming occurred with this morning's sunrise. Every day it manages to muster inside of me the sense of joyous wonder and surprise, as deep as the universe, but so much brighter and alive. Episode 377 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, our good friend, Kitty Bell Burbank. Also, the New Yorker magazine and writer, Luke Mogelson. And these musical artists, Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, Annie Franco. Buster Poindexter, Portishead, Committed, Sublime, and of course, Brantford Marsalis and Terrence Blanchard, too. And thank you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and do our best with this time. Take care.